You're listening to a podcast by Change My Relationship, featuring licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Carla Downing. These podcasts are designed to provide you with practical solutions based on biblical truths for all your relationships. Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it. Welcome to this podcast on Change My Relationship. I've got Dawn with me today, and she's going to tell us her story of having been an alienated child from one of her parents and how she reunified and the changes that 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 has brought into her life. And the reason that I'm interviewing her is because last time we had on Michelle Jordan, and she was talking to us about this very common practice that happens during divorce of one parent being alienated by the other parent and the family is split and the children and the parent who's alienated experience all kinds of emotional pain and things in their lives that we want the court to start recognizing and therapists to start recognizing. We want to bring healing to more of those families. So welcome, Don. Thank you so much for having me. My parents were actually never married. When I was two, my mom abandoned me and left me with my dad. And she was gone for approximately two years. So he was my sole caretaker. That was really the only world that I could remember as a child from the ages of two to four. And then one day she appeared out of the blue where she had gotten remarried and they decided that they wanted to put their family together. So they planned an elaborate full-fledged kidnapping of me where they had a getaway car and her new husband was waiting around the corner with the engine running while she ran up and grabbed me off of a stairwell as I was going back to my babysitter's house. And then she put me into the car, the front seat. She opened the door, shoved me in, and she jumped in right behind me. And as she did that, she said, I want you to meet your new daddy. In that instant, my dad disappeared from my life and I all of a sudden had this stranger that replaced him. They had taken me down to the San Diego area. So that was Hollywood, California. They took me down to the San Diego area where we hid out on a houseboat for a week. So they, they actually had that planned as well. They wanted to wait until the investigation had died down before they moved me to an airport where there was a plane ready to taxi as soon as I was on board. So as soon as I got on board, we were up in the air and we, I was all of a sudden in Colorado with a new house, a new dad, new bed, new everything. Nothing was familiar. The only thing familiar to me was my mother at that point. And then also instantly had a new stepsister. At that point, she was six years older than I was. And her mother had abandoned her as well. And she did not like the union of her dad marrying my mother. And then it just made things even that much worse when all of a sudden her new stepmom also brought a new sister for her. It was a nightmare for everybody <laughs> at that point. What did your mom tell you about your dad and why he was not looking for you or finding you? I mean, or did he try to? Yeah. So at this point, I was only four years old when this happened. I think I remember I had asked her where daddy was and she said, he's not your daddy. You have, you know, she redirected me every time I talked about my real dad. She would redirect me to refer to her husband as my dad and would call him by his first name. So he was no longer daddy at all. And that took a while to really sink in. But after a while, you know, you gradually comply with the way that things change. So as time had gone on, I had no idea what happened to my dad. 
she had instances with him where he actually showed up at the house. But before that, the police actually showed up at the house in Boulder, Colorado, and asked her if she knew where I was. So this was like weeks after the fact that I was abducted. So LA was still in a full-fledged hunt for a missing child that wasn't missing because somebody knew where I was. But as far as my dad was concerned, I was abducted or I was dead in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. So there was a lot of panic and a lot of, you know, investigators don't like to give up on a missing child. So it was a constant everyday thing. And when they showed up at the house, it was, of course, this was Denver police, but my mom's response to the police officers, when they asked her if she knew where I was, she told them, well, she's my daughter. Like he had no claim to me. I only belonged to her. I didn't belong to him. And their response was basically, you know, that's fine. But the least you could have done was let the father know. He thought that she was dead in a ditch somewhere. That didn't really faze her. She was kind of a little miffed and irritated with the fact that they would bother her and, and speak to her that way. So she was all too happy to slam the door and go on about her business. Well, then my dad had eventually come up trying to make contact, trying to see me. He figured that my mom would still be in my life in some way, that eventually that would come about. He never once thought about hiding me or keeping me from her. We lived in the exact same place that we lived when she left. So when this turned around on him, he was kind of not really prepared for the fact that she would tell him, you'll never see her again. That's it. You're no longer part of her life. And then again, slammed the door in his face. So it was very traumatic, very traumatic for him going through that, not understanding what has happened and how could that happen. You know, before he knew it, his life was just upside down and had no idea where to turn or, or what to do. And since they weren't married, he felt like he really didn't have that leverage to fight for me in custody, you know, or to gain custody, even though his name was on my birth certificate. So he had that, but he still didn't think, I guess maybe it was the time frame or the era where dads were just used to not getting custody. So he didn't know what to do. Really feeling empowered to go to court. And, be, and, and that was a number of, you know, what about, you know, 45 years ago, custody was off, most often given to the mother. Yeah. Dads didn't have a whole lot of rights. So he yeah. wanted to, but he didn't know where to go. So was the last time you saw him when you were abducted? as a child when's the next time that you saw him 44 years later oh no oh, yeah wow. so it wasn't until 2016 that I finally found him and I had spent my whole life wondering you know where is he why didn't he come and see me I'd, I would wish that he would just come and rescue me because the life that my mom brought me to was very violent and I was abused aggressive you know aggressively abused almost killed by my stepsister it was a very challenging life. And I often wondered why would my mom bother if she didn't want me? Why did she bother to go to this elaborate attempt to conceal me or keep me from a parent that did want me? Did you know that your dad came to see you or did your mom never no. tell you that? No, she didn't tell me that until later. I found out much later. And I had, I had asked her, did he send gifts? Did he ever send me a birthday card? Does he ever think of me? Did he try to call? I'd asked and asked and asked. And every time she told me, oh, no, no, nope. I haven't never heard of him. I haven't never heard from him. He's never called. And it wasn't until I found him that I found out that that wasn't true, that he had tried to reach out, that he actually showed up, knocked on the door, tried to try to talk to me. And my mom told me that my stepdad had picked up the phone when, you know, they claimed that he had called and that my stepdad picked up the phone and that my real dad told him to take care of me. And when I shared that with my, my dad, my real dad, he said that never happened. I would never tell someone to take care of you. That was my job. So there was a lot of things that were just concealed. 
And how were you affected by the idea that from best that you could figure out as a child that your dad didn't care about being in your life? How were you affected by that? Oh, it was a constant it was a constant thought in my mind, the curiosity, the wondering how could, why wouldn't he want anything to do with me? Did he just walk away from me? And then having to deal with the way my mom was kind of disconnected because we never had a really close bond. You know, I knew she was my mother, but we don't have that mother daughter kind of relationship even after the fact. So I never felt like I belonged. I was in this twilight zone is what I refer to it. And the step family also rejected me. I mean, virtually rejected me. They wouldn't include me as part of the family. Even if, even though my stepdad had eventually adopted me, they said, it doesn't matter. You're still not one of us. Life was always about never fitting in. So that makes it even more um, problematic for a child going through this. And had I not been able to um, tap into that perseverance or that tenacity that I actually get from my dad, there's, you know, there's certain things that you get from your family, your genetics, your DNA that is unexplainable, really. I mean, you really can't explain how, how can I be so much like him, even though I never knew him? And all these things that you kind of carry forward with you leads to more of the, the curiosity and the questions that are just unquenchable. You have to find your parent in order to actually have those answers. That's the only way to get that resolution and to fill those holes that are left. So you're half a person until you find the other half. And so what was the first time that you thought, I'm going to find my dad and then tell us about that journey? Oh, I was still a kid. I always thought that one day I, I want to find him and I was never allowed to talk about him. And anytime I did, I was always redirected. But when I became an adult, and I told my mom, I'm curious, I want to know, you know, where do I get my looks from? Why do I, you know, I have some similarities to her, but then there's some other things that are obviously not her. It's just that agonizing curiosity that never really goes away. No matter how much you suppress it, it's still always there. It's always lingering. And when you're out in public, I remember seeing people like, oh, I wonder if that guy could be my dad. You know, I think looking at him thinking, oh, okay, we have the same facial features, you know? So it was constantly on my mind. And I told my mom one day that I was going to look for him. And she started in with the whole gamut of stories and excuses and told me, you know, well, if you're going to do it, you better get a gun and make sure you're protected. So, cause you don't know who he is. He was dangerous. He had all these enemies and you know, all these horrible stories about him trying to scare me from wanting to find him. So that's where the doubt, I always had the doubt, even though I thought deep down inside, you're full of crap. <laughs> I didn't believe, I didn't want to believe her because I felt like I knew him. I felt like I had this inner peace when I thought of him. And when she told me these stories, you, you know, you tend to want to believe your parents, but it's like, you can't ever resolve this. So you've got such drastic differences of what I remember, what I feel and what she's trying to tell me. And when she's telling me that I should take a gun to protect myself, I mean, that really freaked me out and thought, well, maybe I should. So now I'm worried about it, you know, and I think maybe I should wait. So that really kind of delayed my efforts of finding him where I didn't necessarily do it fast enough. But I, I, when she started in on this campaign, this denigration campaign again, I remember looking at her in the face and I told her, I'm not asking you for permission. And when I finally said that, when I finally stood up and told her that this isn't open for discussion, that's when I saw her change. And then it was all of a sudden a damage control rather than trying to convince me. I think she knew that I was serious. 
at that point that nothing you can say is going to stop me from finding my dad. And that... Yeah, what was the damage control? What did she do? Then it was all of a sudden where she wanted to be... She was a lot nicer when, when I talked about him. It took her a while, but eventually she finally gave me his birth date, which I never knew his birth date, so it was really hard. His name is Patrick McCarty. I mean... There's thousands and thousands of Patrick McCarty's, and I've talked to 20 or 30 of them, asking them if they had any idea. Some of them were younger than me, some of them were way too old. So it was such a huge pool of people that, you know, the potential of finding the right one was just a needle in a haystack. So when she gave me his birth date, that's what really started helping me narrow it down. So that's when that's the change that I saw in her where she wasn't really helpful, but she knew that I was determined. And I think she knew that if she didn't help me, that it would be worse for her in the end. Did you hire a detective to look for you or did you do it all yourself? I did it myself. I became a private investigator and I started just digging in everywhere I could dig in. And I found him a couple of times, but he had already moved. I had sent a card saying, you know, wishing him a happy birthday and say, I'm looking for my dad and try to gently explain because you don't know his circumstances. You don't know if his if he's married or if she knows about his previous life. So I didn't want to disrupt what he might have had. So I was really concerned about what I said to him. But when I got that card back, it was very crushing because it said no longer at this address. And it was like one brick wall after another. I just kept hitting him and kept hitting him. I'm in cybersecurity and I was getting my degrees in criminal justice. My final paper was on childhood abductions and human trafficking. And I found a group of people that were, you know, parentally kidnapped, parentally abducted by by their parents. And I thought it was a joke as I grew up. Like we always joked about how they came down and kidnapped me and they'd tell people that. I mean, in public, they would say, oh yeah, we just went down there and kidnapped her. So growing up, I was desensitized to the fact that it was wrong. It was just like something that happened. So, you know, it's just normal. And when I found this group of people, that's when I started learning that this is not normal and this wasn't right. And I started digging in and doing more and more research. And that's when I started becoming the private detective or private investigator and, and doing that kind of work. Being that cyber security person, I never wanted to be on social media because I saw the trouble and the, the issues that I felt were vulnerabilities. And my children were never on social media. It was like, oh no, nope, not, we're not going there. So it wasn't until they were adults that we finally broke down and we got social media accounts in 2015. And then January of 2016, I actually found him on Facebook. And it was a little sickening to think, oh, if I'd have done this sooner, I would have had more years. Talking about it, I was thinking, well, how do you do this? Well, well how about just doing all the Patrick McCarty's on Facebook, right? Oh, that was, that was problematic too, because there's just as many out there. The problem with it, though is that he had a picture of a dog as his profile picture so I couldn't see him and I needed to see him but in my research I found a marriage certificate of you know with his wife's name on it not knowing that I had the right person but I had reached out to him gave him the same spiel the very careful I'm looking for my dad but not to imply that he was just asking him for if he had information he didn't respond because on Facebook, you have that, like the spam message group that you don't see very often. I ended up in there, but I started looking through his friends and that's when I saw the name that was on that marriage license was one of his friends. And I thought, oh my gosh, this has to be him. This is just too much of a coincidence. So there's no way I was gonna reach out to her. Because again, I don't know what she knows or what trouble that could cause him. But I started looking at their friends, their mutual friends. And I saw someone on there with the same name. And I thought, I wonder 
if he's a junior. So I reached out to him and he instantly responded to me because I had said, hey, you know, my name is Don. I'm looking for my dad, a little bit of information, but that was pretty much it. And he responded back. It's like, yeah, I, I have a sister named Dawn, but we haven't seen her in a while. And I said, well, I was abducted when I was four. And he goes, yep, that's the story I was told. And I was just all of a sudden, some emotions just started just boiling up and I'm yelling for my son. You know, we're both looking at the screen. Am I, am I reading this right? Am I misreading this because I want it so bad? You know, it's like you start kind of second guessing, like, did this really happen? And within five minutes, I was on the phone with my dad for the first time in four years. So fantastic. How wonderful. Did you get together in person? No, I lived in Washington State at the time. We flipped roles. So he used to live in Washington State. I was in Florida. And then I, through the nature of my childhood, I'd lived kind of everywhere. But I was in Washington State when I found him and he was living in Florida. And what we found out is that in 1999, when he moved back to Florida, I was living in St. Petersburg and he, we lived, he moved to Tarpon Springs, which is 20 minutes up the road. We were in the same county at that point. And then I even lived in Tarpon Springs in 2003 for five months at the same time with that he lived in Tarpon Springs. And it's not a big town. So I know we had to have passed each other. We were so close, but we just didn't know the other that we were so close. What did he say? He told you the truth. And, mm -hmm. and did your mom all of a sudden fill it and say, yes, I did kidnap you. I didn't tell him, or did she lie? It's still the same story with the kidnapping. That part never changed. In some ways, she tried to be supportive and say, oh, I'm so happy for you. I can't wait to meet. I can't believe you have brothers. I, I can't wait to meet everybody. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> that felt really weird. And of course, they don't want anything to do with her because they know the pain that, you know, my, I, I found out I had three brothers and they didn't want anything to do with her because they saw the pain that their dad had suffered all these years of missing their daughter, his daughter. So they were looking for me. He was looking for me. My brothers were looking for me, but they didn't know my name had changed. So they had no idea where to look or how to look. So it really was all up to me to find him. What do you feel about your mom then? I mean, what are the feelings that you go through when you reunite with your dad and you find out the truth and she's kept you from your dad? When I really started to think about it, so that first couple of days, you know, you're, you're just talking and trying to, you're, you're basically puking everything out that you're trying to share with each other. And when you start processing that, that's when you really need to have help available for children that are going through this and even parents that are going through this. Because when I realized what I missed out on, when that started sinking in and started really hitting home, that's when I was having, I was really struggling to keep it all together and to keep it into perspective. I needed to get help, but I just didn't know that yet. But it was like a fire hose was aimed at my chest and the emotions were all over the place. I was spinning out of control with the emotion part. I mean, it wasn't off the deep end or anything, but it was very hard and cried for a week and work, I couldn't function at work. I couldn't do anything. And luckily my boss was very forgiving and understanding what I was going through. And she's like, just take the time you need. And I had to start getting help. She pulled me in the office. She's like, you really need to talk to somebody. She goes, I don't know what you're going through, but I can't imagine, you know, how this makes you feel. So she was the one that actually told me that talking to someone could help. So then I just reached out. I basically opened up our provider because I worked at a hospital, found somebody that actually answered the phone and went in and started talking to her. And that's how I sourced my therapist. I didn't have any knowledge of what happened. I had no idea what parental alienation was. I didn't know that all of this was a thing. I just knew I needed to go talk to somebody. And did she know? Did she have the words for it? She never said those words, 
And I think she used cognitive behavior therapy type things, but she did say that she felt that I had chronic PTSD, but we never went into the parental alienation stuff. But she still helped you. She helped me learn how to put things into perspective. And I really had to kind of go through and dissect everything about my life. I had to figure out what was true at this point, because now I no longer trust anything she says. Now, my whole life was a lie. So I have to dissect everything. So she taught me how to own what I own and then place what I can't handle or can't deal with in whoever owns that piece. So that really helped in, in that initial stage. But again, I still didn't know what happened to me until after I found my dad, until after I had visited him and we started talking and sharing and comparing notes and finding out, okay, well, that's not true. This is true. And one thing that he did, I think is very important for parents everywhere to really listen to and adhere to is that he never bashed my mom. He never said anything derogatory about her. And when I asked him some of the tough questions, because I came at him sometimes pretty hard. And when I asked him some of those hard questions, he would preface it with, I always loved your mom. And this is what I feel about that situation. I always loved your mom. We were 21. We were dumb kids. <laughs> That's all there was to it. When I asked for clarification on some of the horror stories she would say, some of them were like, he was mortified that anybody would even suggest something like that. Totally uncharacteristically not like him. Family members and everybody would even confirm that, oh, he's such a, a gentle person, a very kind, loving person. You know, you know, some of the stories I think that I found out as time went on, because it took a long time for him to bring up certain things, but he still without ever denigrating my mom would bring up situations that I would be able to piece together. So I found out some truths that nobody knows. She doesn't even know that I know this, but some truths that I think is the reason why she was trying so hard to conceal it. Sometimes it helps to forgive because did you struggle with forgiving her? Oh yeah. And it's, it's not something that you can just say, okay, I forget. Okay. To me, forgiveness comes last. Forgiveness comes when, once I know the whole story, once I can put it in perspective, then I can start talking about forgiveness. But when you're constantly finding out new things, that forgiveness is really hard to hold on to. So we have to have the truth first, yeah. that then we know what we're forgiving. Yes, I totally agree. I teach the process of forgiveness. And that's one of the things that I say is that you have to, you have to know everything, not just a mm -hmm. little bit. You got to know the whole thing. You got to yep. look at the impact that it's had on you. You have to grieve all, you have to go all through all the grief process, grief for the lost time that you had with your mm -hmm. dad, grieve the time that you didn't have with your brothers, grieve the pain that you had in your home because there was all that dysfunction with the sister that your dad couldn't rescue you out of and yep. all that abuse from her. And then all of those areas of grief before you can even, and then finally acceptance. Okay. I accept that this is what happened. I'm going to try to make good out of it. I'm going to, you know, like you said, dissect it, put this and this here yep. and then find that new reality to where you get to the point where like, okay, I'm angry still with my mom. Do I want to forgive her? Okay, I'm going to decide when I'm going to make that decision to work through that forgiveness yeah. process. And that's when it's healthy. But yeah, nef definitely not forgiveness. One of the things that happens in, by therapists or by well-meaning lay people in the church or pastors, ministry, you know, like a women's ministry director or men's or something without realizing is just say, okay, well, you have to forgive your mom. But it's not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. All in due time. All in due time. I like how you, you phrased it where you're grieving this, you're grieving that, because it is true that you grieve the, a living person. So parents are grieving a living child. I was grieving a living father. And then 
once I found him and I thought I was finally getting to that place of acceptance, he, he passed away. So I lost him a second time. How, how long did you actually get to have a relationship? Two years. Three weeks total face-to-face -face time out of a two-year period. So, you know, and I, I put numbers to this. And I, I tell people, look, I lost, you know, it was 16,060 days that I lost with him. I had three weeks of face-to-face -face time with him. That's 21 days out of 16,061 days. You know, two years is all the time I had to either see him face to face or talk to him on the phone. And you're talking about 44 years that I was kept from him. And then when people talk about the court cases and how, oh, you know, well, we don't want the child to have to drive an hour to go see dad every other weekend, or we don't want the child to have to go spend this only this much time. And I, I want to put the numbers to that. I want to say, look, if you're talking about an hour drive to and from dad's house, you're talking about doing that every other week. So that's twice a month. So that's four hours out of an entire month that you're putting this child through what? So let's take that and let's time that times that over the year. So four times out of the month, that's four hours times 12. And then let's just, let's add that into how many years I was actually kept from my dad. So let's times that by 44. That's what the real numbers are. And that's where the focus should be. Not the one hour day trip to go see the parent. It's what you're actually robbing the child of. Eventually, when that all accumulates, that's very damaging. Yes, because children do need both parents. They need a relationship right. with both parents and they need to know that they're loved by, even an imperfect parent. Because I deal with unwed mothers and uh, and they a lot of them, their fathers are not good guys. They were drug addicts or they were, mm -hmm. you know, different types of, some of them were in gangs. Your child's always gonna wanna know about his or her dad, always. always. They're gonna wanna know whether or not he's good or bad. Right. That, that changes nothing. That's right. And I, you can't have, you can't let a child have a, a relationship with somebody who truly, truly is dangerous. Right. However, if it's someone who is imperfect, an imperfect father, or at least knowing who that father is and having some relationship with that father, I, I said, I don't care if it's once a year, if that's the only time that father comes into town, that is better than the child not having a relationship with that dad. So Yes, you need to put that father's name on the birth certificate, give that father rights to see that child and deal with it because the child, unless that father truly is unsafe, benefits tremendously. Yeah. Parents have to put aside their own stuff. Exactly. Because in when you look at the child, the child owns their future. I own my life. I, I get to decide who is my father? Today, right now, my decision is what it should have been the decision all along. I know who my father is. It's not the replacement that I receive. That should have been a bonus. That shouldn't have been a replacement. So that needs to be addressed as well. But I own my life and my future. And then when you do things to a child's life that alters it so carelessly and so irresponsibly, that really needs to be a focus as well as far as what, what are we doing to children today? What are we inflicting upon them? Because I had self-doubt. I had lack of esteem. I was shy. I was probably a bull in a china shop when I should have been level-headed about certain things. I overreacted. The problem is, is I reacted about everything because I didn't have that concern consistent relationship with my father. And fathers bring a lot to how, especially for daughters, how we learn to deal with relationships. I never learned how to deal with conflict correctly. I struggled through life just to arrive where I am now. I should have learned before I was 18. So it really hindered my development. And I think that definitely is true for a lot of children. Definitely. 
So what would you say to the child that is listening, who is recognizing that, you know what, something wasn't right, something happened, I think I want to try to find my parent too, what would you say to that child or that it could be an adult child, what would you say? I want them to listen to their inner self. I want them to silence the world outside and listen to what's inside because there's that curiosity. There's something right in this area that is always there. You can't get rid of it. No matter how hard you try to suppress it, it's there. I know it's there. I know that you know it's there. And I know that the only way to resolve that or to make that feel whole is you have to reach out. You have to find answers for yourself. You cannot let life circumstances or stories that you were told by one person be your opinion. You owe it to yourself to go out there and seek for the truth because the truth is really the only thing that can help you feel whole again. And that can give you that holistic healing. You can't be whole and thrive in life if you're carrying around this emptiness. And that emptiness really needs to be filled with the love and joy that you've been missing all along from that missing parent. What would you say to the parent who's been estranged from the child and has been thinking, does my child care? Does my child want me to to reach out? It's been so long. Uh, What would you say to that parent? That the child does love you. And they probably always think about you. And oftentimes they're just not allowed to vocalize it, to verbalize it, to act out on it. There may be times where your child is probably being a little nasty towards you, probably trying to show the parent that they're aligning with that, you know, that's why they're aligning with them because it's a security that they need to do it. So when a child is acting out, I know it's hard but you need to understand and allow some of that. And I'm not saying that they should be abusive towards you. I don't think anybody should take abuse, but understand that your child has to do what they need to do to survive. And if that means being rude to you, let the child know that I understand you're in a very tough position, that I know that you need to show that face. And I want you to know that I love you no matter what. And it's I think try to find that child and try to reunite with that child and find out that the child doesn't want to, then to not do it and to not know that that child really did. Mm-hmm. Because most likely, if you can make it through maybe that initial, like you said, anger and resentment and, and the lies the child has been told, you will have a reunited relationship with your child. And the blessings yeah. of that are worth all the pain. Right. And I think in my opinion, I think that if you can take off that parent hat where you have to be the parent where you can't allow your child to speak to you this way, take that hat off for a moment and put on the hat of I'm the unconditional loving parent. And I know that you need to be safe and allow your child to feel like you are not what the other parent says you are. Let that be how you parent, not be in a reprimand or because frankly, in that position, sometimes that just makes the child side more with the alienating parent. So you have to be the one that has that unconditional love and you have to allow them to express their anger and their frustrations because they're not capable of understanding or communicating that like we are. We expect them to communicate like we do, but they're really not capable of that. So we have to allow them to express that anger and still let them feel safe and that you can still find happiness and joy because that's going to attract your child more than anything, no matter what anybody says about you. If you're full of happiness and you're full of joy and you have shown unconditional love, 
the child has a safe place to come back to. And that I think is the most important thing for parents. Well, thank you very much for sharing your story. I know already that's going to bless people and I believe there are going to be some reunifications. I sure hope so. Those of you that are listening, thank you again for listening to this podcast on Change My Relationship. Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcasts have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcasts, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com. 